been interesting that um, as I uh, decide to start a, a study through the Kings, that one of the things that I've really never done in my life before is preach narrative preaching with PowerPoint. And um, PowerPoint's great when you're doing an epistle, you can rip it up and all that. Um, but with a narrative, it's kind of hard because there's a lot of scriptures you want to read here and there and and move around. Last week I struggled with, wow, we're in, we're talking about Saul, but I had this on a PowerPoint, but I wanted to talk about this and mess it up. So what I've decided to do is uh, try my best again today. And so we'll see how that all works out. And enjoy the PowerPoint again and try to do it again. Now, it's interesting that we all have two ways of looking at things. We're all, we're all different and we brought up differently. We all have um, different ways, point of views. Uh, Katie and I have been married for 19 years. We have different point of views. Um, she thinks certain things, what, times it's cold when it's hot, and certain times it's hot when it's cold. And and um, I'll be in my office studying, and she'll come in and go, wow, is it hot in here, and open up a window, and then she'll leave. <laughs> And I'm freezing. I'm freezing. <laughs> and so, and then, you know, different ways of looking at things, different things. And one of the things that we are so different about, I mean, it is just amazing how we're different, is when it comes to this. Look at this picture here. When it comes to this uh, fish. <laughs> she grew up eating fish. Why? I don't know why that was part of it. Um, but she grew up eating fish. She loves fish. She, she enjoys it. We went shopping the other day together. We passed through the fish part of the store. No temptation for me at all. I just keep walking with the cart. Her? Oh, should we buy some vagina? No, no, let's keep walking here. No. Fish. How many of you look at this and, and would enjoy that? How many would enjoy a nice fish dinner? Look at this. Half the church is in sin. Unbelievable. <laughs> <laughs> Oh, yeah. <laughs> There's just something about that. I mean, look at that thing. Who would want to eat a stinky fish? I, you know, if it smelled like pizza, I'd eat it. But, you know, it's, it's terrible. But people like it. And it's, it's not wrong to like fish. Amen? It's not wrong. Um, and you have a point of view. You grew up liking it, loving it, enjoying it, eating it. Some others haven't done that, and so what, what are we taught to do? We're taught, well, you have a point of view, I have a point of view, that none of them are wrong, let's just accept everyone's point of view, and let's tolerate it. And then people move that on to what? To the Bible. And they say, well, you see Jesus in one way, and I see Jesus in another way, and you, you, you see the Bible in this way, I see the Bible in that way, you need to accept my view, and I need to accept your view. And the answer is no. It's not about my view and your view, it's about God's view. And how does God see Jesus? And how does God see the Bible? And how does God see the scriptures? And we need to look at his view. But we don't. Because we like to look at things from our point of view. And really we're going to see in this, in this passage, this is a wonderful passage, we're going to see two ways of viewing things and really how can we adapt God's way of seeing things Remember where we left off last week in 1 Samuel? 
We're in chapter 15 of verse 35 I have here. And, and, and Saul made his mistakes. I mean, he made a lot of mistakes. And, and even early on, he's making the mistakes. He's, he's, he's doing the things. He offered up the burnt sacrifice. He made this rash vow. He, he did partial obedience and God was not happy. And, and Saul is done, but yet he's not done. God's going to allow him to, to reign for another 30 years, but without his spirit and without his power. And Samuel is grieving over Saul. Let, let, me, let me just tell you something as a pastor. It, it hurts when people are not doing God's will. Yes. And, and we, we invest, it doesn't matter. I know some military come, they rip our hearts out, they leave. Some people come, some people go. We understand that. We invest in people. But there is nothing harder than seeing people out of God's will, and not only out of God's will, but make excuses why they're living out of God's will. It hurts. Let me just tell you, it feels like someone died. I, I, I can't explain it. And, and Samuel is grieving. It's like Saul died, but he didn't die. And, and, and yet, but he, he had so much aspiration, so much expectation, so much hope that, that Saul would be the one. I mean, he was tall, he was handsome, he was the one, but he wasn't the one. And, and, and Samuel is just grieving over this. And, and notice in verse uh, six, chapter 16, verse 1, the Lord comes to Samuel and he says this, how long are you going to grieve over this? I mean, how long are you going to do some grief that's, that's good grief that brings us to, to God and brings us to where we need to be? There's some grief that stops us from doing what God wants, stops us from being what God wants, stops us from seeing the hand of God in our lives, and stops us from being what God wants us to do. He says, how long are you going to grieve? How long are you just going to keep sitting there grieving over Saul? And here's a couple of things that we don't see in our grief. Notice this. It says here, since I have rejected him from being king over Israel, God's hand was in it. And Samuel couldn't see how God's hand was in it. You know, God is never shocked when someone walks out of his will. He is never shocked when something happens to somebody. He knows the beginning from the end. He goes, you understand that I had my hand in this? I am the one that rejected him. Stop grieving. And here's another thing that we do when we start grieving. We stop doing the things that God wants us to do. He says this, fill your horn with oil and go. The work of God must continue on. Don't just stop grieving over Saul. There's things that need to be done to make an impact for God. Fill your horn with oil and go, go. And so oftentimes what happens to us when we grieve is that we, we forget to see the hand of God in it. We forget to see that God has a plan for our lives that we need to continue on. And we just grieve. He says, how long are you going to do that? Fill your horn with oil and go. Now, here's what's interesting. He says, I'm going to send you to Jesse. Anybody know what the word Jesse means? Gift. I'm going to send you to Gift. And I have, notice this here in verse 1, I have selected a king. Jesse loves it because he's our gift here in the church here. Actually, it means to give gifts. 
So we'll wait for gifts later. No, no, it's, it's gift. <laughs> for I have selected a king. Now don't miss this. He says, I have seen for myself a king. I have my eyes open for a king. I'm seeing him. I see him. I'm the one that's going to select him. You're going to see something, Samuel. I'm going to see something. They're going to be different. We're going to see it in a moment. But he goes, I have seen for myself the word there selected is, is used seven times in this passage. It's amazing. I have seen for myself a king. Now, what do you do when God tells you to do something? What do we do? Here's what we do. Verse 2. Here's what we do. How can I go? We, we, we say no. God says, uh, you need to go do this. We say no. And we play the what if game. How in the world am I going to do this? Because what if this happens? What if that happens? What if this happens? What, you know, what, you want me to do this? What if, what if, what if? He says, how, how should I go? Look at this. When Saul hears of it, he will kill me. Saul is a maniac. You want me to go pick another king? Saul hears about that. He's going to destroy. He's going to wipe me out. This guy is nuts. Here's what the Lord does. The Lord says, I'm going to give you a spiritual alibi. I want you to take a heifer with you and say, I've come to sacrifice the Lord. In verse 3 it says, And you shall invite gift to the sacrifice, and I will show you what you shall do. And you shall anoint for me the one whom I designate to you. I'm going to show you the one. You just go. And here's what's interesting about this. He had to go from his town right past the town of Saul to the town that he was going to go to Bethlehem. So here he is walking right through the very town of Saul. I mean, that is courage. I mean, that, when you're dealing with a lunatic, that is courage. But he doesn't. He has two options here. Either he's going to obey his fears or he's going to obey God. Verse 4, he obeys God. He did what the Lord said. And he came to Bethlehem. Now here's where the story gets funny. And the elders, what happens to them? They, of the city come trembling to meet him. They're shaking in their sandals. Why? <laughs> I'll tell you why. You don't mess with Samuel. Do you know what Samuel did before this? When Saul didn't kill the king, Samuel took out his sword and whacked the guy and chopped him into pieces. You ain't messing with Samuel. So here comes Samuel into the city. It's like, it's like the pastor coming to your house and you don't know why he's there. And he comes by and knocks on the Hello, I'm here to do a pastor visit. You're like, uh, what did I do this week? And I, what happened? I mean, why is the guy here? And he's got two elders with him. Now I'm really in trouble. Brought the mafia with him. The elders, they come trembling. I mean, they're nervous. They're like, do you come in peace? I mean, are you going to whack us up too? I mean, what, what in the world? They knew they were in trouble. They knew. You know why they were worried? Here's why people worry. Because they're living in some kind of sin and they're worried it's going to be found out or something is going on. And they're like, no reason to worry when you're living for God. They're worried because they're the ones that chose Saul. They're worried, uh-oh, it's their fault. Samuel is coming to tell them. Samuel, boy, I would have played games with them here, but Samuel doesn't. Samuel says, I came in peace. Now here's what I want you to do, verse 5. I've come to sacrifice to the Lord. Consecrate yourselves and come with me to the sacrifice. He also consecrated gift 
and his sons and invited them to the sacrifice. So here it is. This is a big thing. I'm going to have a sacrifice. I'm going to, I want you all to come. The city's going to come out. Jesse, make sure you're there with the sons. We're going to find. Now they know something's up. Now something, something is going on. What's going on? Jesse's invited. Sons are invited. City's invited. What's going to happen? Well, he's going to find it. Here it is. He's going to find the king. This is the king. Now this is where I love the story. Here's how man sees. Two ways of looking at things. Here's how man sees. When they entered, he looked at, who is he? Eliab. Now I imagine Eliab, we don't know too much, but we, we know a little bit. We can assume that he is a tall, handsome, good looking, excellent, eye candy kind of a guy. All right? I always worry about those kind of guys, but tall, eye candy. I mean, this has to be him. I imagine he's got you know, a little bit of muscles. He walks in, you know, and he's walking in like this and <laughs> walks in, he's flexing a little bit. Oh, I didn't know you were here, Samuel. I'm right here right now. It's him. It's got to be him. It is him. Anoint him. Let's go. The Lord says something very strong in verse 7. Don't look at what? Now don't miss this. Don't look at what our society is infatuated about. The perfect body. The perfect outward look. There is so much pressure from friends, from what we see on TV, from things on the outside. You go to a gym, right? How many like to go to a gym every now and then? I admit your sins. You go to a gym. You walk in, and in the gym, there is wall-to-wall what? Mirrors. So that you can look at your body, that's not in shape, by the way, that you hope that one day will be the perfect one, and you're sitting there doing your exercises, and Annie, you have to go looking at yourself. And yeah, I'm going. I'm going to get. I'm going to lose weight. Yeah, right. I'm going to lose weight. Yeah, I'm going to lose it. And then you, after that, you're so hungry, you eat two pizzas. <laughs> and then you start to feel bad about yourself because there's always that person in the gym. Don't you love it? The green beret that comes in with the body, and he knows it. I mean, he's got his tank top on. I mean, that thing's not even a shirt. <laughs> Hair's hanging out. Muscles everywhere. And he's got to take the elliptical right next to you. <laughs> not even sweating. And you're sitting there, what? And I'm never going to be that. And you know what? We never will be. And we're so infatuated with people's outside appearance, the perfect career, the perfect family. I remember one time we had we had a uh, uh, we had this couples thing that we were doing at our house, and this this lady said, "I have the perfect marriage." We all looked at each other. No, you don't. But yet we strive for that perfect external. And you know what? God is not up in heaven saying, hey, Peter, get over. Look at that guy's muscles. <laughs> Holy cow. He's ripped to shreds. 
Look at that nice haircut. Wow. Look at that hat he's wearing. Beautiful. God is never doing that. In fact, it says this, don't look at that, don't look at his appearance. I like this. Don't look at the height. Amen for all us short people. Don't look at the height. Because I rejected him. Now, it makes me pause and think, why did God reject this guy that's tall and handsome and everything on the outside? Because God is not looking at that stuff. But here's what God sees. He's not looking at the outward. He's looking right at the very heart of a person. So when he is heaven, he's not worried about our bodies or worried about the physical. He is worried about the heart. So that makes me think, what is the heart? What is he worried about? What is he looking at? What is he focusing on? Notice this in the Bible. What is the heart? Well, let me tell you what the heart is. The heart is the seat of the intellectual life. It's where we do our thinking. So God is looking at our thoughts. It is the seat of the emotional life. It's where we feel things. God is looking at our feeling. Our feelings matter to God. Our thoughts matter to God. Our volitional life, our decisions matter to God. And let me tell you what really matters to God. Our spiritual life is in the heart. And so we accept Christ. We believe with our hearts. We don't just believe with our mouth. We believe with our hearts. Somebody says, I believe in Jesus. Yeah, I know Jesus. No, we believe with our hearts. But we can harden our hearts. We can live with an unclean heart. And he is looking at our hearts. He's looking at our thoughts, our emotions, our decisions. He's looking at our hearts. He sees them. And, and here's, here's what this guy says. I like this. God is looking for a man with character, a man whose heart was right toward him. He's not interested in the size of the man. He's interested in the size of the soul. I like that. He's not worried about the externals. He's worried about the heart. We were part of a mission for years that told us we had to dress a certain way. Because people are watching you. We said, can we wear jeans? Well, the director said, yeah, you can wear jeans only when you're going home from a church, not when you're going to the church, because you want to show up all dressed up on the outside and let them see we were worried about what? Externals, not the heart. We are so focused and infatuated with that, but God sees the very heart. He's looking at the thoughts. He's looking at the feelings. He's looking at the decisions. He's looking at the spiritual welfare. How is the heart? And Samuel missed it. Now let's watch this here. Let's, let's go through it because we're going to look at this. Gift calls his other son. And I'm not even going to try to say his name made him pass by Samuel, and he said, the Lord has not chosen this one either. He rejected that one too. Look at the next one. Jesse made uh, Shema pass by, and he said, the Lord has not chosen this one. I could just see Samuel getting discouraged here. I mean, come on, all these guys are tall and handsome, and I, I remember when I met Katie for the first time, and we were here, and her brother, well, our brother's tall and handsome, that gets me a little nervous. Looks a lot like me, but anyway, tall and handsome guy. He walks in. 
He walks in with these two other guys and these white, they look like from Grease Lightning, you know, these tall and these handsome three guys walk in. I, I was waiting for them to say, Grease Lightning, go Grease. I mean, they walked in, they hair slick, I mean, beautiful, handsome. And then I'm looking, why would she want me? Her brother's got these two. I could just see Sam and all these guys, unbelievably handsome, built guys coming in. Nope. Jesse makes all seven of his sons pass by and, and seven of his sons. And guess what? The Lord hasn't chosen these. Now he's, uh, what's going on? He goes, uh, is there anyone else? I mean, is this it? I mean, did you forget one? Um, oh yeah, I forgot one. Watch how he is described. I love this. There remains the youngest. The Hebrew word can literally mean the runt. There's a runt of the litter. The youngest, just a child, young. He's not as tall and as handsome as the other ones, but he's the runt of the litter. Probably. He's the one tending sheep, by the way. Uh, back then, that, that wasn't a job that people wanted. It's kind of like uh, doing a job now, you end up on a garbage truck. I mean, it's not a bad job, but you, you're just there, you're throwing, not much skill. You pick up the garbage, you throw it into the truck, you get into the truck and keep driving. Not much Doing the sheep, not much skill. He's not very skillful. He's a runt of the family. He's the one that does the sheep. He's not, he's not very, Sam says, get him. Get him. I want to see this one. He walks in, verse 12. I love this. He's ruddy. He's, he's, he's got red hair. He's red. When, when Johnny was, this makes me think of Johnny. When Johnny was born, he was born with red, beautiful hair. Red hair, red-headed. <laughs> beautiful eyes. And a handsome appearance. Now, he wasn't ugly. He's eye candy. But you know what? This is not something for him here. This is not a plus. You know what he's saying? He's saying, he's saying, I got a runt who's a redheaded kid. Yeah, he's cute. He's eye candy, but he's a lover. He's not a fighter. He's not a warrior. He's just my little runt. I sent him out to go get the sheep and tend to them. He probably don't want him. Uh, arise. This is the one. What? Because... God does not see as man sees. God is not looking at this little run, red-headed, beautiful eyes, beautiful, handsome kid, and saying, him, oh, no, I don't want him. God is not looking at that. God is looking at what? This runs heart. And he says, arise and anoint him, for this is he. And notice what happens about with to David here in verse 13. Samuel took the horn of oil and anointed him in the midst of his brothers and the spirit of the Lord came mightily upon David. Here it is. You say, what made David do what he did for all those years and be one of the greatest kings? Here's the secret. The spirit of the Lord upon him. It wasn't that he was the most physical, the one that could handle all the battles. It wasn't that he was the great. He was a man consecrated to God that allowed the Spirit of the Lord to use him. And that's what God wants of us. You say, what did the Spirit of the Lord do to David? What was what did he do to his heart? David was not perfect, but we're going to look at this. I want to show you this. And I want us to look at our own hearts. You know what wasn't mentioned about David? What I love? 
It mentions how he had red hair. It mentions how he was the youngest. It mentions how he tended. What is one thing that it doesn't mention there? Did you pick it up? It doesn't mention anything about his height. <laughs> Praise God. God loves runts. <laughs> he loves short people. If you're tall, I'm worried about you. But he loves short. Not, nothing about his height. Nothing. Because God can care less about that. But watch how the Spirit of the Lord came. You say, what kind of heart did David have? What did the Spirit of God do to his heart? And here's what I pray our hearts are. Because here's what God is looking for in our very hearts. If you go to the Psalms, and we're going to look at a couple, it's going to show us as David writes about his heart and shows what the Spirit of God has done to his heart and what God would want out of our hearts. What kind of a heart pleases the Lord? Here it is. A thankful heart. Watch this. I will give thanks to the Lord with all my heart. I will tell of all of your wonders. Do you have a thankful heart today? Or are you complaining about something that's not in your life? Are you overwhelmed by what God is doing in your life? Are you thankful that he saved you first? And thankful for the things that have come into our lives David was overwhelmed with the goodness of God because of the Spirit of the Lord. He said, I will give thanks to the Lord with not just part of my heart, all of my heart. And you say, how do you know if you're thankful? I will tell of you all your wonders. A thankful heart speaks to others and tells them what they're thankful for and what God is doing in their lives. That's a heart that God's looking at. Look at another heart. Not only a thankful heart, a truthful heart. O oh Lord, who may abide in your tent? Who may dwell on your holy hill? He who walks in, with integrity and works righteousness and speaks truth where? In his heart. God is looking at a heart that speaks the truth, that tells it as it is, that doesn't hide things, that is real with people. That is the same here in the church, same wherever they go, because they speak truth where? In the heart, in the very heart. And that's what the Spirit of God did to David. Look at this here. Not only a truthful heart, an open heart. I love this. Search me, O God, and know my what? My heart. Try me and know my anxious thoughts and see if there be any hurtful way in me. And lead me in the everlasting way. You know what? You know what David's praying here? He's going before God. He's saying, Lord, here's my heart. I open my heart to you. And Lord, I want you to look into my heart. And God, if you see anything, anything, anything that is not pleasing you, Lord, I ask you to change my heart. When was the last time you went before God and did that? Lord, here it is. Is there any anger? Any lust? Anything? Any anything that's Lord. Show me, because I may not see it. Show me, and not only show me, change me. Change my heart. He went before God, and he knew he made mistakes. But he tells the Lord, change it. Change the heart that's prone to wander. Look at this. Not a heart that delights in the will of the Lord. This is beautiful. Psalm 40, verse 8. Look what he writes. I delight to do your will, O my God, and your law is where? Within my heart. He says, I have your very words. 
your scriptures in my heart. And because they're in my heart, I delight to do what you want. I have an open heart. I delight in to do it. Notice this. He has a humble heart. Psalm 131 verse 1. He says, Oh Lord, my heart is not what? Proud. Nor are my eyes haughty. Nor do I involve myself in great matters. Or in things too difficult for me. Lord, I'm, I, my, I, my heart, and we know how pride comes in. And let me just tell you, when we're insecure, pride just shows itself all over the place. We beat everybody up. But he says, Lord, my heart is not proud. Work on my heart. He doesn't have an arrogant heart. And notice this here. He has a trusting heart. Trust in him at all times, O people, and pour out your heart before him. God is a refuge for us. He's trusting in the Lord because the Spirit of God is He's trusting in the Lord, pouring His heart out to God. And then this last one here, not only does He have a trusting heart, He has a contrite heart. Psalm 51, 17. The sacrifices of God are a what? A broken spirit, a broken and a contrite heart, O God. You will not despise. You know what He's saying there? He's saying God knows we make mistakes. God knows that we fail him in the heart. But what is God looking for? God is looking for a heart that understands when they sin and there's sorrow in the heart because they don't want to disobey God. You see, Saul, when he was confronted with his sin, he had all the excuses. He played the victim. He blamed others. He had all the excuses. But when David sinned, he cried out to the Lord and he said, God created me a clean heart. I have a contrite heart, oh God. And these are the things that God does not despise. See, God's not looking for us to play the game. God's not looking for us to come into church and act like we got it all together. None of us do. God doesn't want us to come in here and dress all up and, and show, hey, I'm doing fine. I'm okay. Anybody else? I'm okay. I'm all right. He knows we're not all right. What God is looking for is a heart that understands that. And a heart that is able to say, Lord, I've messed up. I failed. Lord, please forgive me. God, change my heart. You see, when the Lord looked at David, he saw him, he said, you know what? This is the one I want, even though he's the run, even though he's the one that maybe not be the tallest and be the warrior. He's the one that I want. Because he's the one that the Spirit of God is going to change his heart. I remember when we went to Chicago one time and we took this evangelism class. And <laughs> I thought, you know what? Being from New York City, I'm going to show people how to evangelize because I wasn't scared of anybody. I'll, I'll go and show, share Christ with anybody. Don't worry about it. I'm going to go do it. And they put me with this guy that, that was... You ever been around e an Eeyore? <laughs> it took him like 10 minutes to get the track open. He says, come on, come with me. We're going to go witness. And we're in the streets of Chicago. And here is this Eeyore. I mean, he is the most simple, not impressive at all. I mean, just nothing of a guy. And he's opening up the tracks and he's sharing Jesus Christ with the people. And he is going verse by verse talking with them and he didn't back down from anybody. 
And I sat there and I thought, wow, I thought I was going to impress people. And this guy impressed me. He didn't have the externals. But boy, did he have the heart. See, that's what God's looking for. Don't be upset if you don't have the perfect family, the perfect body, the perfect image. We'll never have that. Focus on what matters. The heart. Go before God and say, Lord, do I have a thankful heart? Lord, do I have a trust, trusting heart? Am I trusting in you? Am I transparent before you and others? God, if it's not, change my heart. Because I could play the game. But God sees right through that game. And he's looking at people who will trust in him. It's amazing that David was just an ordinary kid that did extraordinary things because he had an extraordinary God. We are the same. Samuel missed it. Sometimes we miss it. So here's the question for today. Is how's your heart? Are you just going through the motions? Or is your heart right with God? You see, I can't see your heart. I can say, oh, so-and-so is growing. He's doing this, reading the Bible. I can't see your heart. God can. So how is your heart? Let's take a few moments right before the Lord, right where we are, and just talk to Him in our heart. And ask yourself these questions. I'm asking myself the same ones. Lord, do I have a thankful heart? Am I trusting in you, Lord? Am I the same person here in the church that I am everywhere else? Am I speaking truth, Lord? What's in my heart right now that's not pleasing you? Because it's prone to wander. Am I loving you with my thoughts, with my emotions, with my decisions? Am I hiding your word in my heart? Do I delight to do your will? Has your heart. Father, it's so easy to go through the motions. To wake up in the morning and open up the Bible and have devotions that mean nothing to us. To come to church just to get it out of the way and go on with our own lives. To play the role of a Christian. And we give you lip service when our hearts are far from you. So, Father, I pray that as we think of David, he wasn't a perfect man. He didn't have the perfect body. He wasn't the perfect warrior. But he had a perfect God. And we do too. 
And Lord, you use ordinary people to do extraordinary things when our hearts are fixed on you. So God, I pray, Lord, and ask for forgiveness. It's so easy not to have that thankful heart. It's so easy not to trust in you and to lean on our own understanding. It's so easy to delight in things of this world and not in your will. It's so easy to show others that we're doing well when you know we're not. So God, we ask you, and and sometimes we're scared to do this, but we need to do it. Take a good look at our hearts. And Father, if there's anything that is not pleasing you, bring it to our attention and change us. Now's the time to change. And Father, I pray if there's anyone here that still doesn't have Jesus in their lives, that yeah, they're coming to church and hearing a message, but they really don't have a real relationship with you. That's where it starts. Where they open up their hearts and they say, I'm a sinner. I believe that Jesus died for my sins, was buried and rose again. I don't trust in anything else but him. Come into my life and save me. And he will. That's where it starts. Father, I pray if there's anyone here with a hard heart, that you would soften that heart. Make it sensitive to you and to sin. And help them to live the life that you want them to live. Lord, we've seen it too many times where people say they want to do your will, but we live differently. Now's the time. For we are closer than ever before to being in your presence. We thank you and praise you. In Jesus' precious name, amen.